Hey, Matt, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Fucking boo. What do you do for a living? The tra- the trailer for this, it's weird. Um, which the trailer which people just saw <laughs> was uh, very well received in its era. And when you watch it today, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> you're like, why? It's like it's one of the weirdest edited trailers ever. Well, hello, welcome back to the Waffle Press retrospective. We'll get back into Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, a shining testament to Tim Burton, if nothing else, in 1989. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me to talk about all the Batman movies for the upcoming weeks is Macaringo. Oh, dear God. <laughs> There's no way you possibly regret this already. There's just no way. No, you know what? No, because I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. The, this, this thing is front-loaded with about four movies that I really love. <laughs> um... Is it backloaded, uh, or are we saving that? I don't know yet. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen when we start getting into the the Nolan of it all, but um, the grassy Nolan. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting because I just I don't know. Um, I haven't because I haven't sat down to revisit all of these films in a long time. Um, I was kind of hanging out with a friend, and I kind of bullied him into watching Batman with me. <laughs> because <laughs> i was because i knew i was going to be gearing up for this but i also wanted to rewatch it and like man does this hold up and also are its flaws much more apparent <laughs> than when i was eight years old i'm in a very funny place with this to just i guess right off the bat fan then you're a fan oh yeah yeah no i love this movie um, okay. but that does not mean i don't see that it has glaring flaws <laughs> that i would say that the first two Burton movies, they don't operate like very good Batman stories, and they don't operate like very good movies, <laughs> but they find this weird like third option that turns them into something like wholly unique, while also still being kind of derivative because people like tried to emulate them for like the next decade. Oh God, did they fucking ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm in a weird spot with this movie because... I actually didn't really love it as a kid. I liked the images, mm. but even as a kid, you know, there's stuff you could sit down and like watch and like you'll be glued to the screen. This never hit that spot for me. Really? Uh, yeah. And I, li- I, li- I love the cartoon. I really loved eventually Batman Beyond. And those had very similar musical cues to the Danny Elfman score in this, which is fantastic. Danny Elfman is, is rightfully a living legend. Um, the Elfman score in this is just terrific. Yeah. Uh, um, and so when the Dark Knight era of, of Batman came around uh, with the Nolan films, that's when I was like, oh, yeah, this is the real Batman. Mm, and then, you know, I grew I, I, Yeah, I was definitely one of those. So I apologize to the world. Um, and I do. I, I, I don't want to give my, my thoughts away on, on my revisit to the Nolan films yet, but. I like this movie a lot more than I ever did uh, when I was younger. I, I really admire the first Tim Burton Batman. Uh, I, I it's, it's got it's got issues for sure, but it's as got a Tim Burton movie, issues. <laughs> as a Tim Burton movie, like his production design, you know, like his 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 aesthetic choices, the lighting and the shadows, and all his German expressionist fetishism is just like on display with like one of his biggest budgets of the eighties. And ah, fuck yeah! Yeah, it was, it was, and it was a big enough hit that they just let him go hog wild on the sequel, and uh, with with interesting results. <laughs> well, we'll get into that one. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to Batman Returns a lot. Um, but I've always I, I I liked all the Batman stuff as a kid, like everything Batman. Um, probably because I grew up with the animated series, but I had that weird thing. I don't know if you ever remember this, but I did not know how to differentiate the different continuities as a kid, which is odd because the Joker dies at the end of this film. (laughs) (laughs) 
But the Joker died on the cartoon a few times and still came back. You know? Um, he didn't, like, I mean, die. I mean, he, like, falls into something and everyone's like, there's no way he could have survived. And then he's just yeah. back. <laughs> but, like, to me as a kid, it meant he was dead. Uh, and, like, all of it was in one kind of, which it, at, to a point where when Batman Begins came out, I was really confused about how that one worked. Oh, <laughs> like I, I didn't still, have it to that. I didn't have the problem to that extent. I, I was still kind of thinking of it, but I also didn't see Batman Begins for a long time. I did not see it in theaters. Um, I like, uh, I don't know. I had like a weird, I have, I've always had like an anti-prequel bias. And it's not, I'm not even talking, and that doesn't even include Star Wars because I liked the Star Wars prequels as a kid. But other types of prequels, I always, like, knew that was when I checked out of a series. Because <laughs> that always spelled to me like they're out of ideas. Which, to be fair, is not entirely wrong. It's not wrong, because that's usually why they're made, but not in the instance of, oddly enough, the Star Wars prequels and Batman Begins. But that's that's much later. <laughs> Tim Burton's first Batman, like, overlooks a lot of the the Batman origin iconography. Like, it, it's eventually in the film, but, like, right off the bat, it it leads you into thinking it's going to retell the origin that, even by this point, everyone already knew, you know? Yeah. And then it, it kind of plays you, it plays a little sleight of hand trick, where it's like, oh, those are just another uh, group of people walking, another family walking down an alley and getting mugged, and it's, it's mm -hmm. not Bruce Wayne. But there's That's a weird, Bruce Wayne, that's there's a, Batman. That's a weird opening, by the way. This whole movie's fucking weird. <laughs> Batman Batman just lets a family get mugged. Um, Batman doesn't save anyone in this movie except uh, Vicky Vale. <laughs> it's because he's thinking with his dick. I, I I don't know what Batman's what his deal is. Yeah, but Vicky Vale isn't a thing at the beginning. <laughs> he just he just watches this family gets mugged and he's like sucks to be you. Like and then he goes fucks up the criminals. But uh, this comes out of a weird era where. The Batman as continuity has always been super weird. Not that it like really matters, but he was the only character whose continuity was not one hundred percent rebooted by the Crisis on Infinite Earths reboot that rebooted the entire DC universe in the eighties. Um, there was a lot of remnants from before that that stayed, and it ends up creating a really weird history that is told and retold in Batman. And this movie was kind of trying to straighten it out, much like the original Superman film had to do. And uh, where the Superman film succeeded, this one kind of doesn't, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a, it still ends up being something. It ends up being its own thing. Uh, and we kind of... We always end up retreading the Batman origin in, like, multiple Batman movies. Uh, how many of these movies are going to go over his origin again? In terms of like showing us the origin or at least talking about it? Because a lot of them talk about it. Well, almost all of them talk about it, which is understandable. But where's one that like gives us new information? Like I would say, you know, there's this. There's Mask of the Phantasm. There's Batman Begins. And then there's BVS. And I'm probably missing some in between. Yeah, I don't. I don't think anything else. Uh, but you know what? To their credit, and I might get flack for this because I know people are tired of seeing the origin, and I get that. Mm. Um, I think they all utilize it in at least different enough ways. I I'm not saying I want to see more of the, of the retread of the origin, even if someone has like a crazy new direction to take it, because we've had enough, honestly. But. I think for the most part, they really do stand on their own. Like, like Batman Begins kind of captures Bruce's internalized, you know, guilt over his fear that resulted in his parents' death, and and BVS captures that his dad said Martha as he died. You're gonna fucking hate me for that episode. <laughs> I might. I don't know. I I don't. I have my my feelings are already all over the place. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'm going to walk away. I think the shocking thing will be I'm not going to walk away with strong opinions. <laughs> strong feelings, <laughs> I should say. Strong feelings. Um, because I just don't care anymore. <laughs> Nor does anyone. I don't think anyone except maniacs care. Um, You're probably right. But we'll, we'll get to that episode in like 
two thousand years. So, but speaking of uh, the opening of this film, we get the, our first great shot of Gotham City, um, which a good matte painting, and then we get the uh, you know Anton first set built at Pinewood Studios. They basically built a whole city for it. Uh, have you seen pictures of the size of this set? It's like a small town. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Um, and this opening, I would say, and is the most it ever looks like an actual city. Yeah. Like, later in the film, it's like there's maybe 30 people on the street <laughs> in this bustling metropolis. And we're on the same, you know, steps like every three scenes. Uh, this is like a, a Burton thing, though. I think it's he's such a big fan of like that classic black and white silent cinema stuff like it's in all of his movies like if you don't see that after watching a tim burton movie like you're not you're not into movies and that's okay but um he like even like something like like dr caligari like all the sets they they're very distinct but also you could tell that it's very clearly like a stage play basically specifically the two burton batman films kind of have that same style and influence more so than like a lot of his other work I would agree, but there is such an attempt to try and make the city look bigger than it is. I, I, I guess there's an attempt. I'm I don't think it works, and that's okay. It doesn't with me. But I'm, no, I'm not. I'm just saying that it's something that I think people maybe would be a little uh, taken aback by watching it today. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Because it's like literally the crowd shots are like no one. <laughs> it's like there's one camera crew in all of Gotham City. Um, but. Uh, it, which it also just when I watch it, it kind of disappoints me, because like now in this age of CGI, could, like could you imagine what they could do, like to make like a fully populated Gotham with like these great sets, and instead they just go like, yeah, it's filming in Chicago. I guess I'll comment a little bit on that right now, but like, yeah, that would that's that's one thing that really disappoints me about all specifically the DC movies because they take place in fictional cities. Like you could do anything with them, you know. Like, at least Superman Returns has, like, that Art Deco style a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And they and again, that also did use real shots of New York City. Mm. And they mixed it in well. Like, you can, you know, with CGI, you can mix and match, like, amazing shit. <laughs> and they just don't do that. And I don't get it. And I think that's a, a, a lack of imagination on a lot of the filmmakers' parts. Um, even, or, sometimes it's very, you know, a clear attempt to ground it in reality. But I'm not... I'm not as down with that as maybe I was when I was 13. Yeah. Uh, but I should mention the uh, the script features the uh, famous opening line that describes Gotham City. Um, do you know this one? I actually don't. Um, Gotham City, the city of tomorrow. Stark angles, creeping shadows, dense crowds, as if hell had erupted through the sidewalk. That's not the vibe I get. <laughs> no, I kind of get it. The well, hell well, line at the end tosses me, but everything's no, no. okay. I, it because it, it, it's like you know, the, it's got like this ancient foundation to a lot of it. The problem is we only get like a couple aerial shots of the city. <laughs> like that opening shot really captures it. The rest of the film doesn't. Yeah, no, the, that that matte painting specifically is stunning, man. Like I, I, I would get a printout of that and like hang it in my house because that's a that's a gorgeous image. But that's the uh, that's the cue that production designer Anton First, who did uh, he worked on Company of Wolves, um, that's what he used to design uh, Gotham City and the uh, the Batmobile. And this would you know inform the look of Batman for the next decade. I mean, this is what the animated Gotham looks like, and the next few films try to emulate it. Because um, unfortunately, Anton First uh, committed suicide sometime between this and Batman Returns. Um, I actually didn't know that. That's that's too bad. Yeah. Um, well, the two, one of the screenwriters, um, it was this was written by uh, Sam Ham and uh, Warren Scarin, I think his name is. You know, am I getting that right? Um, Warren Scarin. Scarin. Um, I, I I deeply apologize if I got it wrong because he died in 1990, shortly after this came out, of fucking bone cancer. Um, but he was, he was, Warren Scarn was brought on to help rewrite Sam Ham, um, Sam Ham, fuck, that's a <laughs> fucked up name, Sam Ham's <laughs> draft of the script, um, because Sam Ham's, Sam Ham's had a good structure to it, it totally diverts about a third of the, I mean, uh, about halfway through, and, uh, 
but that he his script is much wordier and much more jokey and then warren came in and kind of gutted a lot of the kind of excess dialogue and then even then the shooting script has a lot more than what ended up in the movie although to be fair that that's kind of usually what happens anyways especially for for bigger productions unless you're like james cameron who's like no we're putting everything and you kind of don't have a choice this is such a weird movie because we have that that opening is something you just wouldn't get today which is just the the opening like the overture of the batman theme over the batman logo (laughs) like it's just like the credits through this logo like you wouldn't do that today you know like movies do not stop to be like hey listen to the music yeah what's the last time a superhero movie did that like the raimi trilogy um maybe yeah well, didn't uh does, doesn't BVS has like a weird slow motion opening? Uh, that... it's it's a flashback to the Waynes, yeah. Yeah, and it's like the slow motion of their death or whatever. Yeah, and the, it's it's the origin set to the the Hans Zimmer Junkie XL score. It's actually I think pretty good in that movie, but it's not. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, it uh. I don't know, I just, even then, that's still, like, used to tell part of the story, you know? Yeah, they're not just, show, they're not showing off, like, uh, an aspect of production or or just the logo like it is here. Yeah. I think this was, it was kind of an attempt to, like, kind of set the new tone, because I think they were worried, there's a lot of talk, if you watch any of the behind-the-scenes stuff, a lot of people were worried that everyone was going to expect or want the old TV series. <laughs> Which is hilarious, especially It's hilarious now. in retrospect. Actually, if you listen, Burton says that he was a big fan of uh, the TV show, but he understood that he wanted to go for something different with this. He's like, I, I always like Batman because Batman's an outsider, and I'm an outsider. And I'm like, yeah, thanks, Tim. <laughs> hey, Burton was, like, untouchable around this point in his career, basically. Not, not before this. He, around yeah, around this. Well, I mean, yeah, this is what made him untouchable. And then, you know, he kind of remained that way for a while because he just kept making good movies. And then that would die a horrible death sometime around Mars Attacks. Oh, he, he had a couple left in him for a little while. Yeah, that Dumbo I, movie looks fucking depressing as shit. That, uh, I, w- I was just going to refer to Big Fish really quick. Uh, that, that's my favorite Tim Burton, I'd say. Uh, that's, that's a really great movie. That's your and, favorite Burton? Yeah, it makes me cry a lot. Mm. Uh, yeah, I like that one a lot. Shout out to Albert Finney, who just died. Yeah, R.I.P. He's really he good in that. In actual life. Um, spoilers for Big Fish, I guess. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's the plot of that movie, his dad's dying. What the fuck? Yeah, but still. <laughs> Get over That's the it, way people. he said it. <laughs> eh. Anyways. Could you tell from my inflection, I'm maybe not as big a fan of Big Fish as you are? Yes. <laughs> I think Fish is good. You know, Spielberg was going to do that. Oh, then it would have been the best movie ever. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's part of my bias. <laughs> well, there's all these movies that he was going to do that ended up being done by someone else. or He's going to do the last action directed. hero. Wait, what? He was going to? Yeah, he, he was in, He was going to do that, and he's like, eh, I'd rather do Jurassic Park. Oh, well, I, I can't really. I can't and, uh, about that. And then Jurassic Park was what ended up killing the last action hero. Oh. That's a good movie too, though. That script was script was hot. Not this script. The script is not. The script is I. Lieutenant, is there a six foot bat in Gotham City? Nice outfit. You look fine. I didn't ask. Usually, with with superhero movies now, there's. There's a, there's a lot of plot, and they try to tie in ideas. Like, they'll touch on them for individual moments and scenes, but they'll never incorporate, like, into the main fighting point of, like, what the idea, like, what the hero is fighting for. Their, their identity, the, the people around them, whatever, you know, what the symbols mean. And uh, the original Batman kind of has all of that with all the problems I get from a lot of movies nowadays. In the same genre, if that makes sense. To me, I'll say, like, this film is exciting enough that you're more than halfway through before you realize it's not going anywhere. Yep. 
<laughs> I mean, that's basically it. We should mention the the opening. Do you know some, is that an that's an animated Batman in that opening shot of him at the cathedral, right? Uh, I actually don't know. I, I thought uh, it was. If you watch, it's like it's like a overhead shot, and like after the kid and the family get mugged by a guy who looks like Tom Waits but isn't. I was in the say, I was like, oh my god. Well, um, first I thought it was Tom Waits, and then I thought it was uh, who's who's Buster Scruggs? Um, Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah, for a second yeah, I thought it was it. Tim Blake Nelson. I was like, wait, no. Would have been interesting. The Coen Brothers should write a Batman script. Oh God! Can you imagine them writing the Rogues Gallery. That'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. There's something in uh, the commentary where Timberman was like, one thing I really liked about we tried to give like this timeless setting to Gotham. Like it's a little bit 1940s New York, a little bit 1980s San Francisco Sea Wharf. That's exact. That's those are Burton's words. Uh, odd pairings, but it's Tim Burton, so that makes sense. Yeah. Hey. And he was like, I, we, he says he he believes that the world should fit the character like Batman because Batman's not a real character, so, which is kind of what he does in all his movies. Like Pee Wee, the world around Pee Wee fits Pee Wee, and the world around Edward Scissorhands fits Edward Scissorhands. You know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, he's like he says in the commentary, he's like one thing I like about this is that because of the timeless feel, there's no product placement. And like in the opening, we get a very we get one of the muggers is like American Express, don't leave home without it. Yeah. <laughs> but that to be fair, that's like one of the only times that happens in this film. I can't think of another time where like a very specific product is called out. Batman beats up the thugs as Batman does. Also, they they talk about that he's Batman's been killing thugs. <laughs> so they throw the idea that Batman doesn't kill out the window pretty quickly. <laughs> A common um, a common thing with the Burton ones. Yeah. Which uh, I think is also what, what set me off uh, when I was younger, and I think what still sets people off. We talked a little bit about it in the last episode, but... Uh, I think, not but... not being, like, comic-accurate, quote-unquote. Like, that was a deal-breaker mm-hmm. for a point in time for me, and now I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like, just but make no, a good movie. The, the no-kill rule for Batman makes no goddamn sense. Because <laughs> he doesn't... It's really only there. It's not a moral code. It's only there so he won't kill the Joker. Because <laughs> there's no reason for him not to just throw the Joker off a roof at some point. <laughs> like, after about a hundred murders. <laughs> just be like, ah, I didn't catch him. Like, that's all you gotta do. <laughs> no one's gonna know. We'll, we'll talk about it when we get to the movies where they frame that as a big deal. Because I, I got thoughts. That's the, that's the thing. This movie this movie never promises that it won't, that Batman's not going to kill people. But I do like that uh, we get we get the criminals like who are afraid of Batman, like he's like an actual monster. Uh, which harkens back to uh, Batman's origin, told in Detective Comics 33, um, which, I don't, which wasn't his first appearance. I think he appeared like six issues before, but then they, that, back in the day, they just didn't, tell the the origins immediately which is kind of better i guess that's it it works for this film too they don't tell it doesn't start with batman's origin um the famous quote from detective comics 33 is you know bruce wayne's like i will become a bat he's like criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot so my disguise must be able to strike terror into their hearts i must be a creature of the night black terrible you know we all know how criminals are a cowardly and superstitious lot Although, you know what? You know what oddly taps into that notion? The fucking wire. The wire? Yeah. I did not expect you to pull that right now. Well, hey, uh, well, we're we're gonna get into the wire a lot because a lot of actors from the wire start popping up in the fucking Nolan movies. Yeah. Game recognized uh, game. Yeah. Yes. Um. Yeah. Recognize something much better than any film you've ever made. Oh. No, it's very hard to be as good as the wire. Yeah, but still. Hey, I am not. I like those movies. Whatever, <laughs> But you know, like Omar was kind of like legendary on The Wire, which is kind of funny for that show because it's like it's so grounded, and then Omar is just like something otherworldly almost. He's so known. Yeah, he's he's very ground. He's very otherworldly except for one thing. But uh, then he beats up these criminals, and I should say that in the script. Uh, you know, this is where he, you know, he goes, I want you to tell your friends about me. And he goes, what are you? And he says, I'm Batman. 
Everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> I could imagine that being fun with like with, with the crowd, like opening night, 1989. Yeah. Everyone being like, woo! Woo! In the script, it's a little different. Oh. Here's, here's, uh, here's the uh, script version. Batman, you're trespassing, rat breath, <laughs> criminal. Trespassing, you don't own the night. Batman, tell your friends, tell all your friends, I am the night. And then the scene ends. Oh. Because then the Batman logo would have come up instead of saying I'm Batman, but they didn't go with that. <laughs> that, that that's a little little out there, but I, I could imagine Tim Burton kind of having some fun with that. But Yeah, I like the I am the night part. I don't like the anything before that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the fucking mayor of Gotham in this movie is named Mayor Borg. <laughs> Did you pick up on that? No, but here's, here's where I gotta, I gotta say, I remember, I said I admire this movie, I like it. So little of it, like, sticks with me mm. whenever, whenever I, I, I'm done watching it. Okay. It's, uh, it, it's kind of a fast food Tim Burton movie for me. Okay. So I don't, Maybe I've just watched this so much, I've absorbed all of it. I mean, po- possibly. I mean, it's not a bad movie. Uh, there's bad stuff in it, I, I would say. There's a lot, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, when, yeah, when you put that much into a movie, like, you're going to get a mixed bag. And that that's fine, you know. It's ambitious. Mm-hmm. But you know who the mayor is in this film, right? Like, you can picture him when I'm talking about him, right? Yeah. Because he yeah. is not the mayor in the next film. No. So something happened. <laughs> um, I guess because he fucked up the... Uh, 200th anniversary Gotham celebration. <laughs> Which is the thing. Which is the thing this film was anchored around, and it's such a weird thing that's, like, always in the background. It's in the background until it's in the foreground. Yeah, But there's no real... Well, I guess um, there's kind of kind of running ideas in this movie that don't really land together. Yes. And they don't really come together. If I could just talk about them real quick, because I'm, I'm fascinated by how it uses... Batman and the Joker as like this this almost like circular way of going about how they created each other. Like they are they belong to each other almost, kinda like in every yeah. other iteration of the characters. But here it's about like the Joker trying to press identity onto other people, like trying to reveal like some some sick nature of other people in Gotham, but he's the one that caused it, so the metaphor doesn't really work out. Well, he's trying to, like, they're, they're both trying to win the soul of Gotham City at the end of the day. Yeah, but then it's not, like, set up in the first half of the movie. It's, it really isn't. Because it's, it's basically a movie that, it's like two dictators fighting. <laughs> and we're waiting to see which side the, the establishment is going to endorse. That's basically the movie. And I will say, in the earlier script, there's a part where D.A. Harvey Dent, played in this by uh, Billy D. Williams, Woo! Harvey Dent is in this story, um, gets fuck, fuck all to do, uh, but he um, he starts negotiating with the Joker in the first script. Oh. As the Joker uh, holds Gotham ransom, uh, which is interesting. Uh, that is dropped in subsequent drafts. Mayor Borg, D.A. Harvey Dent, and Commissioner Gordon, they're all, uh, they're, they're, they're vowing to take down, uh, boss Carl Grissom, who is basically, like, he's kind of like the Al Capone of Gotham. Because, <laughs> like, it's weird, because it's one of those things where, it's not like, like, when, when Trump goes on TV and lies about all the immigrant crime happening, he, like, you know, he keeps it really vague, or we'll mention that, like, one group that, like, is definitely not as organized as he tries to make it sound. <laughs> and, uh, he, but he doesn't call out, like, a specific leader. <laughs> like, it'd be weird to be, like, go on the news and be like, we're gonna finally get that criminal that we just let <laughs> run loose. Carl Grissom, of course, uh, played by Jack Plants, uh, who's apparently a real dick on set. Aww. <laughs> like, bullied Tim Burton. <laughs> um, but hey. Um, he's taken like a fucking bit part in a fucking Batman movie at a time when this shit was not taken serious. And he has like two scenes. I mean, yes, um, he has a scene that fucking Jack Nicholson mocks him for later. <laughs> like, you are my number one guy. 
<laughs> That's a weird moment. Um, but uh, we uh, we get the weirdest, you know, the oddest thing that probably made this film is that Jack Nicholson was chosen to play the Joker. <laughs> and fucking made bank. He made a huge deal to get money on the back end for this script, for this movie. And he was basically cashing checks for, he's cashing checks for the rest of his life. <laughs> he gets like a piece of all Joker merchandise for like ever. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jack Nicholson's Joker? I love Nicholson's Joker. I love him too. And you know what? I used to not think he was scary. He's oh my scary. God. He's scary when, as fuck in this. The first scene when he when he uh, takes off his bandages and we don't see his face and he's just laughing. And he just turns into the Joker on camera just through the laugh. Is like one of the most terrifying things ever. Yeah, no, I don't know what the fuck was wrong with me. I he's horrifying in this, and he's so good. Because so, there, there's so been a good. lot of, I mean, to all these older Batman movies that are more, like, I guess, quote unquote, animated, literally and and like metaphorically, because mm-hmm. uh, everyone likes their grounded stuff now uh, in the post Nolan world. That there was like, oh, you know, Jack Nicholson was never really that good as the Joker. Like, go fuck yourself. He's or incredible he's, he's, in this. He's so good. I think people have a problem with the fact that he is, uh, he, he starts as just a, a gangster, which some people have problems with. Um, and this movie shows him to be kind of a sociopath from the start, and then just becoming the Joker just kind of set him off. Yeah, um, I, like, I'm okay with that. Like, the, yeah. honestly, the first half of the movie, because, you, you, again, you don't know that it's not really going anywhere with the, with the ideas. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love all that stuff. Oh for yeah, for the most part. So it's it's it totally rewon me over on this mm-hmm. last rewatch, especially. Uh, and Jack Nicholson's so good, and I think Tim Burton would agree because Bruce Wayne's kind of uninteresting. In um, this. kinda, but I love Keaton's performance. I'm a real big fan of Michael Keaton in this. Uh, I I uh. think Keaton's a really good Batman, maybe even a great Batman mm-hmm. in the his his one and only follow up that he did. He gets fucking he's, nothing he's to do good. in Batman Returns. He's... Uh, no, no. I, I'll go to bat. He needs more to do in that, but I'll go to bat for him in that. Uh, and he's he's good here, too. He's not the problem. I, I think the movie needs more... Both of these need more um, Bruce Wayne Batman stuff outside yeah. of, like, trying to get a romance. Yeah, that's the problem. They, they, they All these films become preoccupied with a romance. Like, all of them do. <laughs> Yeah. It's so ridiculous. And the one that doesn't only doesn't because there's no fucking time. <laughs> because we're dealing with fucking ice puns and a fucking vine lady. <laughs> <laughs> and a Bane that just grunts. Now, Keaton's good. I like the idea that uh, he's, just a, he's just a really spaced out Bruce Wayne. I'm not a fan of the fake playboy Bruce Wayne. I'm not a big fan of that interpretation of him. That's the most popular one and the one everyone likes because it's like, oh, that's how good he is. <laughs> like that crosses a creepy line for me. I gotta say, I'm 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 more okay with it than you are. Uh, but that's not what I, I would argue for either over this. Hmm. I, I just think I literally just think he needed more material as Bruce Wayne and hmm. Batman in this. Like I well, I'm no, fine no, with, I, with yeah, this direction I'm a, too. I, I agree with that. I'm just saying I like that what I like what we have in it. Okay. I'm just glad he's not, like, you know, sleeping with every model and shit like that. Because um, that just taps into such of, like, the male fantasy that is Batman that I just, I don't like that angle. Not that being so driven to fight crime creates, makes you spaced out in your day-to-day average boring life isn't also a male fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's why I didn't pay attention when it was my fucking girlfriend's anniversary. <laughs> They're too busy fighting crime, um, <laughs> you know. But uh, I don't like the other words like, oh, you know, the side I showed everyone, the fun-loving side of me is actually just a mask for the true darkness within. Like, I don't, I definitely don't like that. <laughs> Which seems to be the more popular one. You know who else is in this movie? William Hootkins, Porkins from Star Wars. Woo! Plays Lieutenant Eckhart. Oh, what is what does Joker say to him? Like Eckhart, and then think about the future. Yeah. <laughs> and what might be the laziest 
death ever. <laughs> like, all right, let's just talk about that moment real quick. <laughs> so Eckhart is, he's a corrupt cop. He's like, like Jack Napier, like comes to shake him down. And he's like, I don't take orders from psychopaths. Also, we should mention that Eckhart is sometimes dubbed and sometimes they use like actual audio. It's, it's weird. Yeah. The, the, the voice, voice is all over the place. The voice is all over the place. But Hootkins, if you read the lines in the script that he delivers, they're not that good, but Hootkins like adds like a weirdness to it. Or he's like, hey, you could quote me on it. Knox. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but uh so jack napier is betrayed by boss carl grissom and uh how he's gonna betray him is he's gonna send him to raid access chemicals because he's like we got damaging shit there if harvey dent finds it he could bring me down so jack you go in fucking commit some corporate espionage it's actually jack's idea but uh carl sends him in and but really it's a trap for you and i'm gonna call eckhart and he's gonna send guys in and they're gonna kill you and just say that you fought back so they're not gonna take you alive but eckhart is of course interrupted by commissioner gordon and so eckhart's like ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> commissioner <laughs> gordon um is like look i want him taken alive and then he goes to turn back to eckhart but eckhart is snuck out because he knows that if he sticks around he could be in trouble but he does stick around, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense. And then at the end of it, he's just standing out in the open and is like, oh, there's Jack Napier up on the catwalk. I'm just going to shuffle out, even though he knows I betrayed him. And <laughs> then he goes, hey, Eckhart. And Eckhart, like, instead of making a beeline for the fucking door, <laughs> like, turns around and he's like, ah. and then he's like, think about the future and just shoots him. <laughs> That is one of the weirdest little things in the film. I mean, that's like a microcosm of like just the weird structure of not just the character arcs, but the whole movie. It's like, here's an interesting thread we're starting off with. And then the thread keeps going. And the, the line turns into like a triangle and then a circle. Yeah. And then it, it ends. And you're like, I don't know where yeah, I was like, where it was fuck? going. Was that, that was a fun trip. But what the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, like, that's fine. Honestly, that's like one of the only real problems early on. It gets, it doesn't really get that screwed up until like the midway point. Like I would say, like it's pretty smooth sailing for the beginning. Again, the problem is that it's not heading anywhere. Yeah, because like the we already talked about the production design. The we talked a little bit about the performances. They all just like sing together really well. Well, I like, like I it, like just all the living in this world for like fifty minutes is really. Uh, enjoyable i like that but i also i really like the structure of the beginning where we're, we're getting like all these different introductions of characters like we're getting batman then we're getting the city and then we're getting like the way it cuts from scene to scene like it leads in the stuff where it's like jack napier's watching um harvey dent on the tv and he's like hey he's, he's got nothing and then that leads into another scene and then that leads in the fucking eckhart and eckhart leads in the fucking alexander knox played by robert wool <laughs> Who is a fucking character that has fucking fuck all to do with the story? <laughs> yeah, he has uh, he has nothing, but he has a likable enough presence in the beginning, and mm -hmm. then I like him at the end when he because he's the dude who's like believed in like the Batman was really trying to like yeah. crack, crack the story, and then the middle portion of the movie that's just irrelevant mm -hmm. for, for him mostly. You, you kind of need and, he's kind of there just for Vicky Vale to bounce dialogue off of. Yeah. Um, because and in the original script, there was kind of like a weird love triangle thing they tried to go with between Alexander Knox and Bruce Wayne and Vicky Vale. Mm. And, uh, spoiler, it did not work. <laughs> it was something. I should say, Vicky Vale is a lot wordier in the script. And at first I was like, oh man, they really cut her shit down in the uh, film, and that's unfortunate. But I, when I think about it more, I actually like the film version more. Kim Basinger gives this weird groundedness to Vicky Vale that like kind of as a counter to all the wackiness around her because it's because it's really this movie's kind of about Vicky Vale trying to deal with really insecure men <laughs> yeah. that's kind of the only true through line of this film like there's a line in the script which reads quippy but then the way she delivers it in this adds a lot more to her character where she's meeting with Knox 
and uh, she's like, look, I believe your Batman stuff. No one believes Alexander Knox, uh, reporter for the Gotham Globe. <laughs> and uh, everyone's like, ah, did you see Bigfoot too? <laughs> you know, the <laughs> typical bullshit. She comes in, she's like, hey, I'm a photographer, I believe what you're saying. Um, I just got back from Cordo Maltese. Um, did you pick up on that reference? I did. They the, the, it, that, that reference pops up in the weirdest fucking places. I know. It pops up in like an episode of Arrow. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, I guess that's like for the diehards. For those who don't know, Cordo Maltese is the fictional nation that Superman helps overthrow in The Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> on orders from Ronald Reagan and almost starts a nuclear war. <laughs> yeah, that, that reference. I'm sorry. I just, I just want to set with that for a second. That's so weird. That, that well, this is back in an era up. where like now it would be even weirder because of like the whole shared universe thing. But this at a time when, you know, we were, we were never going to get a fucking Dark Knight Returns movie. Yeah. So it'd be like, eh, at least we, it, that hints that someone writing this read that comic. But anyway, the line that Vicki Vale gives where she like she just kind of like says it under her breath. It's like, why? Robert Wool's like, why you want to help me? He's kind of such a goofus. She's like, I read your story. And I like bats. And she, like, delivers that so, like, just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Something about her <laughs> delivery really won me over to her character. No, she's she, really good in this. Um, the, the main she, trio of Keaton, Nicholson, and, and Bassinger mm-hmm. are, are fantastic. Um, she's, of course, she replaced, uh, what's her name, Sean Young, who was supposed to be Vicky Vale. I uh, did not know that. I knew oh, about did, Sean Young oh my, and Batman Returns. Yeah, we'll get we'll talk that story. Yeah. Um, but, oh but man, there there was a we'll get into it more. But there was all this horseback riding in the original script, and so when she was hired, she was practicing on a horse, fell off, broke her leg. Oh no! And like a week before uh, shooting, so they had to replace her with Vicky Vale. I mean, with uh, Kim Basinger, um, and. Uh, yeah, and so she, of course, really wanted a role in the sequel. Really wanted a role. <laughs> yeah. But we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Also, I will also bring up why the fuck there's so much horseback riding in this script. <laughs> yeah, please. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should mention that, you know, we meet Bruce Wayne at Wayne Manor. I don't know, it's... Again, the, this is really front-loaded. I really like how the beginning of this film is structured because we get Bruce Wayne, we get like a little bit of interaction with Bruce Wayne and Alfred where Alfred's just picking up shit that Bruce Wayne is setting down. Michael Go is Alfred who will stick with this franchise through thick and thin. He's the only one who returns in all four Batman movies. Nope, nope. One other person returns. Oh, f- oh uh, Commissioner Gordon, right? Yeah, Pat Hinkle as, uh, Hinkle as uh, Commissioner Gordon. And yeah. boy, is he fucking just like like the butt of jokes in the sequel. It's like he's like an accomplished actor. <laughs> and like by the end of like by like Batman and Robin, he's like a street cop. <laughs> um, but Wayne Manor is hosting a a function for you know to raise money for the stupid festival. Uh, we should say it's it's got like a weird there's a weird like satire element that like rises in both Batman and Batman Returns where like this is kind of like Gotham City's a fucked up city and their solution is hey let's put on a festival <laughs> <laughs> like that clearly feels like you know kind of something satirical and but Bruce Wayne endorses the festival so I don't know where exactly where the film falls. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's clearly an idea that Burton's drawn to because, like, even with the cosmetic killings in this, you know, mm-hmm. like when people turn into like the Joker before they die, mm-hmm. like he he's got an interest in that kind of like like playground. But yeah. I don't know what he's going for in this one. Like, How really, Burton attacks the establishment, but like in such weird and like unmotivated ways, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, and. And I'll say, like, later, when we get to... It becomes more apparent later, but... Burton is a guy where his, he's, he prides himself on being an outsider. And everyone talks about it. He's like, oh, he's an outsider filmmaker. And he, he, his movies are about outsider characters. But, like, almost universally, his films fall on the side of the status quo in the end. His movies often end with, nope, there's a balance for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> 
like that's that's like Beetlejuice is kind of known for like oh isn't it weird but like the weird artists are the ones that are like beating up the whole fucking movie <laughs> you know yeah um and it's very present here with the 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 Batman Joker dichotomy because like the Joker like he's like I'm the first fully functioning homicidal artist and I make art till somebody dies and but he's the villain and he's very clearly portrayed as the villain <laughs> who needs to be defeated like it's very clear that Burton's interested in him at the end of the day he's like nice nah, you gotta be stopped and I don't but think it's that, just was that like him or was that like a studio thing because you see a lot of that in um like we always going to bring it up, especially because we're talking superhero movies, but like the MCU, like they'll have a villain that like spouts out some like allegorical thing or like maybe something that the hero has to confront. But, you know, most of the MCU villains end up having to die anyways. And it's like, well, that was that adventure. And then it's never brought up again. You know, so that might be like a, a production thing. I would say it's a, it's a studio thing or it's a just the structure of the Batman narrative thing. I, I don't know, but so many Burton films kind of follow... Like, that's that's what Nightmare Before Christmas is fucking about. <laughs> like, the, like, that's a movie where everyone's like, oh, Jack Skellington, it's so weird, but it's like... That movie's like, no, Jack Skellington should not have tried to take over Christmas. <laughs> it's wrong to mix holidays. <laughs> stay in your lane. It's stay in your lane, the fucking movie. And, uh, also, the sole Disney movie where the hero straight out murders the villain. Not in a yes. duel. He murders him. I yeah. don't think that's right or wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's but what happens, and I feel like we should talk about that more. That's all. But also, Jack Skellington is the villain of that story. <laughs> <laughs> also, maybe the villain kills the other it's like, villain. It's know. two villains fighting each other. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, even in the Kingdom Hearts games, Jack Skellington like, is fucking shit out. He's <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not good. Jack Skellington should not be trusted. No, Jack Skellington is a Coen Brothers character. Uh, In this essay, I will... I have given a name to my pain. What are you? I'm Batman. Get those wonderful toys. I should uh, mention the producers real quick. Uh, Yes, please. uh, Peter Gerber and uh, John Peters, who were the they they came on shortly after. There were two other people before that. Uh, um, Benjamin Milkner, I think his name was, and uh, Michael Unslin or something like that. I could be wrong. I'm sorry, I totally forgot their names. Those that's, two, that's the fine. two, the two I just mentioned, they stick with uh, Batman until now. <laughs> They've produced every Batman film, including animated films. They've been executive producers on. Wait, John uh, Peters? No, no, no. The, the other two guys whose names oh, okay. are fucked up. Um, one of them, like, they literally, like, were, they have credit on Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Wow. Which would be the last one that one of them does because he, he just passed away at age 104. <laughs> wow. So, okay, rest in peace. Uh, also, yeah. wow. Yeah. Now, ben, Benjamin Melnicker, I think, was his name. Um but uh Peters and Gerber Goober, um, they kind of came on and this was this was really their show at the end of the day, but they were also kind of as much as they helped, they also seemed to hurt the production. Um Burton uh-huh. actually for the next movie actually put it in his contract that John Peters could not come to the set. And it, even though he, he never goes into detail, Tim Burton hints at like things unraveling on set constantly because he said, like, hey, we had a script we all agreed on. But then when we started filming, people started not agreeing on it. Oh. And it's very clear who he's talking about. Um, uh, John Peters famously also uh, tried to make the uh, Nicolas Cage Superman movie that would have involved Tim Burton and Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah. he also produced Wild Wild West, which features a giant mechanical spider that he kept trying to put in to the Superman script and a Sandman script. (laughs) Um, Uh, And... A polar bear, which would also... All those things will make appearances in Man of Steel. The last Superman movie John Peters produced. Yes. He kept going for it. I gotta gotta respect that. I I don't know about everything else, but that I gotta respect. Wouldn't back the fuck down. Yeah, no. You know what, though? I'll be honest. If I was a big Hollywood producer, (laughs) 
I would say, look, you can make this movie. It can be your vision. But Superman has to fight a giant spider in the third act. <laughs> that sounds like something I would say if I was a producer. Uh, I've noticed with uh, these Tim Burton Batman movies, Burton's maybe not the most pronounced action director. Like just uh, in maybe, general, but... what he does like with the camera is mm. not very much. Like all of his direction is really in the production design. A lot of it, yeah. Uh, well, I, which is fine. I which said. Is good. I said in the he's really good at individual shots and moments, and he's very bad at stitching them together. It's fucking bizarre though, because like he storyboards, so he puts it all on on the walls. He's going over everything, but he can't figure out how to stitch it together. I mean, because when you're making a movie, anything can happen. You know, like on set, maybe you can't shoot everything you wanted to or initially planned to, but like. The fact that it's such a consistent problem with him as a director, especially now, is really weird. Like, I, I have trouble wrapping my head around that. You know what? I swear to God. I was thinking, like, oh, yeah, it reminds me of when I used to play with my toys. Like, the entire movie, like, you know, and you're, you're playing with your little action figures and stuff. Like, where are you going with the story that you're made up when you're, you're making the Batman and the Joker clash? Yet, you don't know, but it's kind of fun in the moment. That's that's the exact vibe of this entire movie. I hope I don't sound like I'm harping on it too much because I did I did enjoy it and I I'm glad I own it. Uh, it for me it really falls flat in its face in the end, but then it does like a little song and dance to try to pick itself up. So it's like all right, like I, I I'm charmed by it. Uh, I I do like it. I'm glad I own it. Um, I will just go on record as saying I much much prefer the sequel. And uh, I, I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan for sure. But I, I do wish it was stronger in the second half. Then I could really feel comfortable championing it. Uh, but for now, thank you for joining me. Matt, where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com and YouTube. And you can find me at Twitter.com slash waffles. The Waffle Press. Like and subscribe. If you enjoyed this, if you didn't enjoy this, like and subscribe anyways, because you might find something you do like. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We've been professionally unprofessional. My life is really <laughs> complex. Wing freak terrorizes. <laughs> <laughs>